0: Mexico, and we were gathered at four o'clock in the morning. That's the way Allie Mellon did things. Uh, and we were going to, we were just, you know, we were telling everybody four so they'd be here by five. And I, there were people in there. Anyway. Yeah, so we could leave by ten. Yeah. And a friend of Sean Perdue's was up from Panama City, Florida. I don't even remember his name. We called him Jonesy. And, uh, Jonesy was saying, I was standing out there with Jonesy and he said, man, alive. He said, I don't think I've ever been up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he stood there a minute. He said, as a matter of fact, I didn't even know they made a four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Interesting. Jonesy went on to become a firefighter. I bet he saw some four o'clocks. 2020. This is the understatement of all time, is the year we will never forget. 2020 is the year we will never forget. Um, And because of that, there have been, there will continue to be many jokes and sarcastic remarks made regarding this year. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if you can't have humor, you don't have anything. Um. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you some myself. I looked these up on the Internet, so uh, blame somebody else. You can blame me for reading. This first one probably get me in the most trouble. Chris, when we go to the supermarket, I always make my girlfriend wear a mask. John, why, is she contagious? Chris, nope, she's just ugly. (laughs) (laughs) And someone decided that Doc Brown... Said to Marty McFly in Back to the Future 3, whatever you do, Marty, do not go back to 2020. Just <laughs> <laughs> avoid that one. And I was in the bank the other day when three men wearing masks burst in. Thank goodness they were only there to rob the place. <laughs> Now, y'all may never hear anything else I said the rest of the day, but my wife and I went the other night to a pawn shop in Gallatin to buy some ammunition. Yeah, we're goofy like that. I will say it's all for her. I don't even want a gun. We walked in with masks, and I told the guy, I said, I bet you never thought there was going to be a day. You was glad people walking here with masks on. Uh, I'd tell you a coronavirus joke, but you'd have to wait two weeks to get it. (laughs) 2020 is like being 16 again. Gas is cheap and I'm grounded. (laughs) And just like that. Having a mask, rubber gloves, duct tape, plastic sheeting, and rope in your trunk is okay. <laughs> and last but certainly not least is 2020, I don't like the fact that my chances of survival seem to be linked to the common sense of other people. As you've heard me say, common sense has now become a superpower. I mean, it's just, you know, the kind of, the kind of activities that happened during 2020 are so comical. I mean, even one of the bank, the bank we bank with here at the church, Wilson Bank, for a long time, they had on their front door, uh, before you come in, take your mask off. And then when you get in, put it back on. (laughs) Boy, they wanted to get a picture of you in case you didn't want something untoward. But when we talk about 2020, we have to seriously, uh, conclude that it was, that it was no accident. And we have to ask this question. Did God take a year off <laughs> from being the master of the universe? Did God take a vacation and go to some part of the universe where he just left us on our own and, and the resulting, uh, year we, we had, I, I would submit to you, and I think you already know the answer to that, is obviously not. God has never taken a year off, a day off, a second off. He never has and never will. Let's just read a couple of short passages. One, The first one is in Jeremiah 25. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 8 through 14, and then I'm going to flip over to the book of Daniel. Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 14, if you are able and wouldn't mind if you'd stand while we read the Scripture. And I'm once again reading from the, the English Standard Version. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuch- Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. What a promise from God. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans. That's a whole different topic. We'll leave that alone. For their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them. And I will recompense them according to their deeds and the works of their hands. Four verses from the book of Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is a fulfillment of what we just read, by the way. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Did you see what I just read? Don't miss that. I'm going to read it again. And the who? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and even some of the vessels. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language Of the Chaldeans, you can be seated. God was the author of 2020. Now, I'll give you this God was not necessarily the author of everything that happened in 2020. Much like God wasn't the primary author of what happened in the Garden of Eden, but He was the author of the Garden of Eden and He was the author of the opportunity. But he still was, he, he made the year. God made 20, I think I told you sometimes I go to the bank, they come on, it's Monday. Oh, it's Monday. And I tell them God made Monday too. He didn't just make the other days. A.W. Tozer probably gives the best description of how to understand God's sovereignty. And he said God's sovereignty is like if you're on a cruise ship going from the United States to England and the, the, the huge, uh, cruise ship is heading that direction. And while you're heading in that direction, you can, on, while you're on board, you can, uh, sleep, which is what cruise ships are good for. Uh, cell phones don't work on there most of the time. Hallelujah. Uh, you can play shuffleboard if you're old enough and senile enough. Uh, you can go to shows. You can, you can do any number. You could jump overboard if you wanted to. But that ship is still going to England. And whatever choices we make along our way, they may not always be what God wants us, the choices God wants us to make, but the journey continues and God's still in control. Acts 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, he said to them, it is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings or fixed years and seasons which the Father has appointed by his own choice, and authority and personal power. Not for you to know. You know, they were asking him, hey, when's this thing going to culminate? When's this thing going to come to an end? we got people today still saying, well, when's Jesus coming back? When he comes back. There are two words in that sentence, in that verse. One in the Greek, the one is chronos, which we get our word chronology from, which simply means the duration of time. And the other one is kairos. And it's, it suggests the kind of time, like year, month, day. God's in charge of all of that. He's in charge of the year and he's in charge of the time. He's in charge of the seasons. It's his own choice. Daniel even said, and he changes the times and seasons. It all belongs to him. His purpose, by the way, I should have said this to begin with. Some of you are not going to like this message. I laid awake all night worried about that. Actually, I need an alarm clock to wake me up this morning. So, anyway, his purpose in twenty twenty was accomplished by him. You might not look like it to us. We might we might say, Where I'd like to see where. Show me where. Where did that happen? His purpose, everybody say his purpose. his purpose. See, it's not our purpose. His purpose was accomplished in twenty twenty, even if we don't know what it is. More than once, the scripture says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's not waiting on our vote. He just does it. And, and this is the part of a lot of people don't like, but just hang in there. While he may not be, have been the author of everything that occurred in the year 2020, nothing happened last year. Nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing happened that did not, did not go through the fingers of God. He said, I just don't believe that. Well, if you want to be wrong, that's your business. I want to show you in a minute why I believe that. Is God the author? No. Does it go through his fingers? Yes. You think it was God's ultimate purpose for Adam and Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden? Do you believe he could have stopped that if he'd have wanted to? He takes everything and somehow he turns it into something that will bring him glory. Everything. Everything we do, every stupid choice we make, every, every stupid thing we do, everything we do that's displeasing to him, somehow he takes. Now, we got to pay a consequence usually, but he takes that, whatever that is, and he turns it into something that brings him glory. And I'm not suggesting we need to go out and pile up a bunch of junk, just see God at work. He gets enough junk from us without us doing it on purpose. And so for us to really understand 2020 and and, and how God is involved and, 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 and that it was a good year, we understand that our faith is not defined by our circumstances. Too many times we think, well, they're going through a rough time. I wonder what they did wrong. Or if they, you've heard this, if you just had enough faith... You could, if you just had enough faith, and that's when you want to put, you know, take your, your right hand and you pull it up, you make a fist, and you put an elbow on their head. <laughs> I don't really do that. I just want to. <laughs> if you just had enough faith, Romans says God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. You think God was persnickety or, or stingy with the faith? First Thessalonians 2nd Thessalonians says your faith is growing abundantly. So the issue saints is not the quantity of faith. God's given you all the faith you need. That's not the issue. The issue is the exercise thereof. The exercise of your faith. And if you exercise your faith, it will grow. It will grow. It will become stronger. How do you exercise your faith? It's real complicated. You just trust God and respond accordingly. And your faith faith will grow inside of you. It won't become larger. It'll become stronger. Daniel, of course, we just read, was taken captive in Babylon. He was a very young man. Probably a teenager when he was taken captive. And Daniel's one of two men in the Bible that there's really nothing negative said about, uh, Joseph being the other one, and the only negative thing you can say about Joseph, it might not have been such wisdom for him to tell his brothers, "Hey, guy, I dreamed about you. You gonna bow down before me?" <laughs> Maybe not. But anyway, that was more naivety, I think, than arrogance. Daniel, there's nothing negative about Daniel. At one point, Daniel prays, "Will God, forgive us for our sin as a nation. And he wasn't even the one that sinned. This is Daniel. And yet he's taken captive in, in Babylon as a young man. I want to tell you that negative circumstances are not always a sign of God's punishment. Sometimes God uses circumstances to judge us, but even then, God's judgment is not intended to remove us. It's intended to bring us back. Negative circumstances cannot define and say that God's mad at us. Well, I wonder what I've been doing wrong. I had a flat tire. Can I tell you flat tires are first world problems? (laughs) We worry our our phone's going dead, our tires are flat. I mean, and people in China and other places—they would laugh at you if that's the only problem you got. Brother Charles Simpson sent me a, an email this week. It was a forward from somebody I don't know from whom, and so I didn't have time to give you a slide. But here's what it says: the anvil. You know what the anvil is? That's what Roadrunner dropped on Wiley Coyote all the time, or was it the other way around? Uh, the anvil is the solid foundation upon which, in the very hot heat of trial, God can shape us. Any of y'all felt like you've been on an anvil sometime? Yeah, well, Wiley Coyote felt the same way. God's people, you, me, we have faith beyond our conditions. Our faith is not dictated by our conditions. We have faith beyond our condition. You got ahead of me, William. Okay. God's people were in Babylon by design. They were there because they had not given the land its rest. And they had the land had accumulated 70 years of rest. And God said, You're not know going to give it the rest, I am. And So they were there by design. But the year, by the way, the year that occurred was 2020. If you go back and look at the calendar, I'm just kidding. Oh, looking at me like, well, you must know the Bible, then? No, I'm just stupid. But I want you to understand this: they were there by design, but they were not forgotten. Or God, as I said, God did not just throw them to the side and say, "I'm done with you." He promised them. After 70 years, I'm bringing you back. And then I'm going to punish the people who punished you. It's funny how God does that. The verse we like to quote a lot, but used to have it on our wall back in the back. It's not a bad verse. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans for welfare, not for evil, future, and a hope. It's a great verse. But it's given in the context of the children of Israel being in captivity. Yes, yeah. It's in the context of, hey, I I've brought you here. It's my purpose that you're here. I know it feels like the year 2020, but I brought you here, and this is my purpose. And one day, I'm going to have plans for you. One day, I have a future for you. But in the meantime, you're here. And you, you know... Verse seven of that chapter tells us what tells them what they should do, and they had their own twenty twenty. It lasted seventy years, and then there's this fellow named Job. Job one, if you're taking notes. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. By the, word, the word Satan there in Hebrew is really the word adversary. You do have an adversary. They said Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Like God didn't know. <laughs> Satan answered the Lord said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. What do you think he was doing? Well, Peter tells us what he was doing. He was roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know what he was doing. And God said, and the Lord said to Satan, I love God's sense of humor. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. He's a blameless man, upright, who fears God, turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Satan's a little dumb. That's why he's not in heaven anymore, by the way. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Which is why I believe, by the way. Except Satan gets permission from God, he can't touch Job. By the way, angels, including Satan, are not omnipresent. They're not omniscient. They're not God. They're just created angels. The devil cannot read your thoughts. God can't. The devil, he can see what you do. And God can say, that sure looks stupid to me. And the devil says, I'll get in on some of that. (laughs) But he can't read your thoughts. And he is still accountable to God. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked for what? So without permission... He can't sift Peter. Peter. Peter had his own 2020. It lasted less than 70 years. And you, you know, you've heard me hundreds of times say that Peter expected Jesus to say, I told him no. But all Jesus said was, I prayed for you. <laughs> and you might have in the middle of 2020 said, oh God, deliver us from this. And if you've been listening real close, you would have heard Jesus say, I've prayed for you. Peter did get sifted. And Jesus told him, he said, when you do return, strengthen your brothers, which meant you're going to fall, dude. But when you do fall, don't let it go to waste. Help somebody else. Of course, Job had these friends. Eliphaz, I guess. He says, and I'm not going to read him in chapter four, verse eight. He says, uh, well, you know, I know from experience that if you sin, you got to pay the price. So he thinks because he did it, that Job's in the same condition. And Bildad said, if you were up pure and upright, God would deliver you from this. Don't you have friends that do that? Well, you must, you know, you must have something wrong. you got, you must be doing something that God's not approved. Now you may be doing something that God doesn't approve of, but that in and of itself doesn't mean anything. Their message to Job was that suffering is always the outcome of sin and wickedness is always punished. You ever heard anybody say, well, they got cancer. I wonder what sin they committed. Well, they, oh goodness, I gotta get off of that. And, and so we see this issue that, that the, whatever's happening in many cases falls on the just and the unjust. That's not fair. Well, you've heard me hundreds of times say God's not fair. Might as well get used to it. God is not fair. Quit trying to tell your children that everything's gotta be fair. That's ungodly. Job replies to him, innocent or wicked, it's all to, it's all the same to God. That's why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Solomon said it's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. You think, well, God, why didn't you spare your people in 2020? Well, in many ways he did. In many ways he did. But even what we had to suffer, by the way, I'm not so sure 2020 is going to be automatically different. But anyway, that's a whole different sermon. You say, well, there's two guys that had bad attitudes, Job and Solomon. Solomon. They were almost almost backslid. Well, how about Jesus? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, why do I point this out? I want us to understand that regardless of what we might have had to deal with in the year 2020, that God was still involved. God was still there. He was not absent. And he was in control. He didn't he didn't cease being in control on New Year's Eve either. When some of you were up <laughs> at 12:01 <1201. sighs> people in our house was not. Here's a real key. Job continued to rely on the character of God throughout this whole conversation with his pseudo friends. He continued to rely on God's character. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulties you might be enduring, always hold on to the character of God. It will get you through. If you don't believe in the character of God, or if you don't embrace the character of God, you're not going to make it through. I always love this verse at the end of the book of Job. It says, and God, he he uh, kind of scolds the friends and says, hey, you've been wrong. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What precipitated the restoration of Job's losses? You'd think it was a lot of other things, but it was just the fact that he prayed for his friends. Now, these were the same friends who had been lambasting him, who had been telling him, you must have done something wrong. You must have disobeyed God. You must have sinned or you wouldn't be going through this. Same friends. And yet, Job prayed for his friends. It's interesting the Bible calls them his friends. And then we have the matter of faith heroes. You're not going to turn, but in Hebrews 11, we read about people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and so forth and so on that they exhibited their faith. And then in verses 35 through 38 of chapter 11, we see some who are tortured. We see some who are experiencing scourgings and chains. Listen to this. The Bible says they were stoned, and I don't mean with little wacky cigarettes either. I mean with rocks. They were sewn in two. They were clothed in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted. And they were tormented. These are people who are put in chapter 11 as faith heroes. And I love the next statement. The world was not worthy of them. I believe specifically whoever or whomever wrote Hebrews. I believe... He was referring to that last group. They were, the world was not worthy of them. So if they had faith, they wouldn't have been sawn in too. If they had faith, they wouldn't have been walking around in sheepskins and goats. If they had faith, they wouldn't have been destined. See there, you see what I'm getting at? You can't judge your your faith by your circumstances. Or if you, if you judge your faith by your circumstances, we got to eliminate some verse, verses out of the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews. The world was not worthy from them. So what about the good that we can see in 2020? Now, what I'm going to give you is obviously not an exhaustive list because I don't know all the good. But what I hope it does is it spurs you and and, and inspires you to come up with your own list. What, What good did we see? And some of you are already thinking about some things. How about this? Uh, during 2020 people gained more appreciation of those in their lives gained more appreciation for the relationships that we have both in family and friends and spiritual family uh here's a great one 2020 m- people spent more time outdoors i, I was down at the boats national marine one day and uh and I, I said something about the boats out in the yard and the guy said uh You see all those boats out there? I said, yeah. He said, we've sold every one of our boats that we have to sell except two. He said, there's only two boats out there for sale. And there's probably 20 boats. I said, my goodness. And I said, what's the other ones? He said, we can't get parts to fix the others. He said, but every time we get a boat in, we sell it just like that. People getting outdoors. And, of course, people are getting indoors because our pest control guy told me one day, he said, my business is going crazy. I said, what? Guy been, he's been treating our church here, church building here for 20 years or more. I said, what does that mean? He said, people are sitting home like they never sat by home before. Now they're sitting in their easy chair and they see a roach on the baseboard, and they call me. <laughs> it's there all the time. They just didn't know it. The good we can see is also families spending more time together. Now, some people might have been stir crazy, but we we saw families learning to, to spend time together. How about this one? Some of you did this and still are wearing sweats as everyday attire. I consider this a good a good thing. It, it, there has been an increase in homeschooling. Now, here's what I'm going to make somebody mad. I don't believe every child should be homeschooled, but I do believe that as time goes on, I'm becoming less and less convinced of that. But I know people, none of you, nobody in this room, but I know people who should not be homeschooling their kids. Let's just put it that way. But more involvement in the education of the children by the parents is a good thing. The fact is, one of the reasons the public school system is in the condition it is, besides the evil of the world, is that parents have abdicated their responsibility by driving by the school, kicking their kid out the door. Don't bother me till I get out. I'm, I'll be back after a while. Well, we want you to get him, no, don't bother me. You, you educate him. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. That's another soapbox. But there's also during this time been a greater appreciation for public school teachers because of what I just said. Parents who are homeschooling are going, whoa, I appreciate them more now. This is not what I thought it was. Yeah, you got to deal with your little squirt now. Now you know what I've been going through. In 2020, we learned That we can survive through tough times. Listen to this. I, I hope to develop this later on, but we learned to be uncomfortable. Westerners, especially American people, we don't like being uncomfortable. We want everything to go smooth. I do. We want everything to go smoothly. We want everything to be comfortable. I think I told you we had our church in South Louisiana young man wrote his tithe check one day, and I, he, I looked at it. It said, "Homa Convenient Church. We were Home Covenant Church is the name of our church. <laughs> home Convenient Church. And I said, Dwayne, I hate to break this to you, but there ain't nothing convenient about walking with God. And he later became a pastor. He found out. We learned, to, we learned that we can live our life and we can function in a place of discomfort. And that's a good thing for us to learn that. And then we learned about the struggle to become a butterfly. We learned again the struggle to become a butterfly. And we learned the value of the struggle. You know, you know the story is butterflies struggling to get out of that cocoon. And sometimes people come along. And they see that butterfly struggling to get out of the end of that cocoon, and they see their pretty wings and everything, and they think, well they need some help, one, just one little bit of help to get them out of the rest, the rest of them out of that cocoon, and they break open the cocoon only to discover that the back end of that butterfly was not a butterfly, it was still a caterpillar, and that it needed it needed the struggle of getting out of that cocoon for the fluids of that body. To cause the rest of him to develop, but we come along. We're smart human beings. We're going to help him out, and we we uh, caused this butterfly to spend the rest of its days in that condition, which obviously means it's not going to live very long. Some of you, some of us, some of you at home, are trying to get out of the struggle. And God says, just hang on. Be uncomfortable. Let the struggle continue. And you will be a beautiful butterfly. Instead of half a butterfly and half a caterpillar. You need the struggle. We need, everybody say this, we need the struggle. We need it. Now say it like you mean it. We need it. We, I don't like it. I didn't say you had to say you liked it. Nobody likes it. We need a struggle if the lord allowed us to go through life without any obstacles or struggles it would cripple us you'd be crippled so finally let us learn let's learn from the early christians they chose hope over confusion they chose humility over arrogance they could have said this shouldn't be happening to me i'm a great guy I've done all the things I've been asked to do. I brought money down there and put it in the basket. I try to behave, say as few bad words as I can during the week. Limit the kicking of my dog. Why would this be happening to me? That's arrogance. They chose humility, empathy over self-interest. And they chose faith over fear. My God, people, please don't let fear dominate your life. Don't be governed by fear. We recognize our frail humanity. And in so doing we welcome God's presence in the life of his spirit. Which is powerful and pervading. And it asserts God's will over our own will. Sociologist Rodney Stark. Who many years was professing atheist, He later uh, admitted that he did believe in God and he was at worst. An agnostic wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity about how that the early, well, here's the, the subtitle, is how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. And one of his conclusions was that as a community, God's people in those days began to share with one another personally and be, through that growth personally, organically, the kingdom of God grew. The guy's written several books on, on early Christians and I, I don't know if he's still living. If he is, I expect he might become a Christian at some point because he's, he points out that in, in the year 170 and the, uh, there was a smallpox epidemic in the year 270. There was probably, they think it was measles and the early church had to deal with this. In the midst, he writes, in the midst of human calamity, the Christian community survived and thrived. Christians laid down their lives for other people. And with their extraordinary acts of kindness, Christians were then viewed as a caring community. Remember, this is early on. People are looking at the Christian community out of one eye thinking, I wonder what that's going to develop into. Who are those people? It wasn't like today when we live in the Bible Belt. It was a very new suspect group of people, and they were just keeping an eye on them. But when they began to show... Kindness towards one another, things change. Christians, bolstered by their faith, seem to endure hardships better than others. This is his conclusion. A man who doesn't even profess to be a Christian. But bolstered by their hardships, they endured better than others. And in times of disaster, the Christians in those days were and are able to cope. That's how we can go through a year like 2020 and whatever 2021 holds. So concluding with some admonitions, and I must say I got these uh, from an article written by John Piper. First of all, believe with all your heart in the absolute sovereignty of God. Pray that God would give you that conviction. Pray that God would make his sovereignty so strong in your mind and your heart that you recognize that he is greater than anything or anyone that you might face. He's greater than that. Whatever it is. He's bigger. Believe with all your heart that everything he does is right and good. Pray that God will give you that assurance. That's what, that's where Job was. Job believed that whatever God did was right and good and he trusted his character. Repent of all the times that you've questioned God or found fault with him in the way he has treated you. And pray that God would humble you to see these murmurings as sinful. Amen is right. And finally, be satisfied with the holy will of God and do not murmur. Don, go ahead and bring up the worship team. I'm going to read one more, just a couple of verses. And I, I would ask you to pay attention to these verses while they're getting ready. We're going to close out with a song. Listen to these verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Now we, that's not good. We want figs on the fig tree. Is that right? Okay. Nor fruit be on the vines, grapes, wine. The produce of the olive fail, though, it, the, though there's no olives. It's not productive. And the fields yield no food. So we have all this f- crop failure, no And the flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. No animals. No livestock. Everybody say yet. Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. In the God of my salvation. Because God the Lord. Is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers and he makes me tread on my high places. Fig tree, no blot not blossoming vines F- no fruit, olive fail, fields no food, flocks gone, no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Can you rejoice in the face of whatever it is? I don't know what twenty twenty one looks like. I do know what twenty twenty looked like. And I would pray that in the midst of a year like 2020, we could say, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of my circumstances. And why is that? I've asked them to finish this, finish out by singing once again, I have a destiny because you have a destiny. Let's stand and sing with the worship team.
1: me that city on a hill I have a destiny It's not an empty wish For I know I was born For such a time as this Long before the ages Long before the ages You predestined me to walk in all the works You have prepared for me Lord, you've given me a part To play in history To help prepare it right For eternity I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill A destiny in that city on a hill I have a destiny It's not an empty waste For I know I was born For such a time as this I did not choose you I did not choose you But you have chosen me and appointed me for bearing fruit abundantly. I know you will complete the work begun in me. By the power of your Spirit working mightily. I had a destiny, I know I shall city on a hill, I have a destiny, it's not an empty waste, for I know I was born for such a time as this, oh, for such a time as this. Amen. Go fulfill your destiny. Amen. Amen. Have a great day you guys. Love y'all.